The Lifestylist, episode 27, featuring Ryan Muncy. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. Here we are, you and me together again on the Lifestylist Podcast. This is your host, Luke Story from LukeStory.com. And today I'm speaking with Ryan Muncy from Natural Stacks. And the topic of today's show is eating for optimal fitness and performance. So we talk about the difference between being a fat burner and a sugar burner, some of the advantages of a paleo style diet, and some of the possible risks involved in a vegan diet. We also cover supplementation and some of the really important micronutrients and minerals that are missing even from the healthiest diet and how sometimes it's important to supplement those. We go into a bit about the gut biome and healthy bacteria and how that affects your mood and your sleep. So this episode is a really good starting point for people that want to find out what the best recommendations probably are for staying fit, thin, and having tons of energy all day. So I'm not someone who wants to argue with the world about what the right diet is. I think there's a right diet for every single person. So there's probably about 7 billion diets that work, right? But I think this episode gives us a really good starting point for someone that's just interested in knowing where to begin. So obviously, we're going to cut out anything that's not organic. We're going to stop all junk food, all fast food, all of that, which is, you know, I think apparent to most people that are probably listening to this podcast. But then where do you go from that point? And that's what this show with Ryan is all about. So I really look forward to sharing this and more episodes on this topic with you in the near future. So here's a great place to start. And I encourage you to listen and enjoy. Today's episode is brought to you by Samina. Samina Healthy Sleep Systems are designed to incorporate what we now know is required for restful, restorative sleep. Every aspect of healthy sleep is addressed, including unrivaled back support, moisture and temperature regulation, plus pure comfort in a very clean, hygienic bed. Like people, Samina is a system comprised of layers, each working together to support the body's needs for healthy sleep. The components are made from natural, non-toxic, hypoallergenic materials and provide the essential elements, even grounding, to fall asleep relaxed, stay asleep, and awaken refreshed. Samina is simply healthy sleep. Go to JustHealthySleep.com and enter the code LIFESTYLIST to save 5% off all beds and accessories, which can save you a substantial bit of cash considering the initial investment in this system. Or if you're in Southern California, you can also make an appointment on the site to visit the Pasadena showroom and check out Samina in person. Ryan Muncy is a mental and physical performance specialist who has held the titles of fitness model, gym owner at House of Strength, and freelance fitness writer. He has a food science and human nutrition degree from Clemson University. He now runs the Optimal Performance Podcast and is the chief optimizer at Natural Stacks, an all-natural, open-source supplement company trying to change the supplement industry. Go to naturalstacks.com for more on the Optimal Performance Podcast, Blocks, and Natural Stacks products. Really great to have you on the show, Ryan. 
Awesome. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it, Luke. Absolutely. I'm glad, I'm glad we got to do video, too. Sometimes people don't have that technology together, but yeah. you are a fellow podcaster, so you've got it down on the camera. Looks nice and clear. The sound's good. Yeah, I literally just finished recording one for our show. That's why I've got the, uh, the background behind us. Awesome. Great. Yeah, I definitely want to hear about your show, too. And as I understand, I'm going to be coming on there, too, which will be cool. That is correct. Next week, we're recording it. Is that when it is? Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. I, I looked at my calendar. It looked like we had an hour today. I, I thought, well, I, I hope it's not today. And I didn't know that. Because <laughs> <laughs> no. I've done a couple back to back where we like record mine and then hang up and or not yep. even hang up. but just like, all right, now welcome to the show, Luke. And it's like, wow. Yeah. A, it's like three hours of talking. I did one of those uh, like two weeks ago, and it's like by the end of it, you're just like, man, I have no idea what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, well, it's interesting because you kind of lose the context of who's interviewing interviewing whom, right? Right, right. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Okay, so let's go ahead and jump right into it. Uh, tell us a little about, about where you came from. How did you get into the supplement game, the fitness? I know you own a gym. You're obviously a fit dude, so... What's your story? Did you did you start out as a depressed, pimply, fat kid and, you know, got your ass kicked in school and then turned it around and now you're conquering the world? Or what's what's your story? I just totally made that up. No, it, it's like, I think that is the common thing, right? Like, it, it, it's interesting. One of my mentors once told me that, that every strength comes from a weakness or a deficit, right? And, and I think if you see most people in fitness, they have some similar story to that. Um, mine wasn't quite to that extreme. Uh, I played sports my whole life growing up. Uh, I was what we would call now skinny fat. I just didn't realize it at the time um, or didn't know that that term existed. Um, I played basketball and soccer. I, I wasn't. Funny. I, I just, not to interrupt, but I, I just found out from my brother who, who owns a, um, a fitness studio here in LA about a year ago. I was like, so what kind of shape am I in? Because I was looking to start you know, working out more. And he said, well, Dude, don't get your ego hurt, but you're what we call in the fitness world skinny fat. And I was like, no. <laughs> right? like, I thought you, I was just like kind of not in, you know, super toned. And he's like, no, dude, like you're fat, but it's just spread over your whole body, <laughs> not all in one place. So I, I know exactly what that is. Carry on. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I played sports and if I had on pants and a long sleeve shirt, you know, I looked fit. But, you know, I, I grew up I'm in Virginia, I mean, ate, you know, like the traditional southern you know, American diet. I mean, it, it wasn't even Southern. It was just what most Americans eat. And it was basically being pre-diabetic. And, you know, when you take your shirt off, there's, there's no muscle tone. And part of that was because I didn't, I didn't know then what I know now about how to lift and how to eat. Um, but all I did was play sports and, you know, it was that illusion of, okay, well, I, I can, I can get away with this or I can burn it off or whatever, but, uh, wasn't good enough. I went to Clemson, wasn't good enough of an athlete to play basketball or soccer at that level. Um, fortunately my best friend from high school was a year behind me and he actually was a high jumper at Clemson. So all our lives I was beating him in basketball. He couldn't beat me. And then you know, my sophomore year, his freshman year, he's been on campus for six months. We go home for Christmas break and he's running circles around me. He's been a, a division one, you know, ACC athlete for six months and I can't touch him. And I'm like, dude, what is going on here? So uh, I spent the first, uh, you know, basically two and a half years of college being a, you know, your stereotypical frat kid. Um, and, and that was kind of my moment. Everybody talks about the moment when it clicks or they flip the switch. And for me, that was it. I was 20 years old. It was Christmas break. And, you know, I dabbled in lifting weights before, but never really bothered to learn. And, uh, 
from that moment on, I was like, all right, this, this has got to stop. I quit drinking. Uh, so I always joke and say I retired from drinking before I turned 21. I've met some people like that too. (laughs) (laughs) So, so I don't drink now, but it's not that I never did. I used to, uh, I just, uh, I'm kind of all or none. So it's just better that, that, that drinking is none for me. Um, Hey dude, I, I hear that. I haven't had a drink in almost 20 years. Wow, I made it. I made it to twenty six, though at least. So I got, I did get a few legal drinks in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, well, I've had yeah. a few legal ones, but um, but anyway, yeah. So so back to your question, you know. So so it's it, just like anything else. It's a rabbit hole, you know, and you can just go down it. And so I started training with uh, with you know the Clemson track team was exposed to performance training at a really, really high level. I mean, at the time, there was a, you know, there was a 100-meter sprinter who ran for Team USA in the Olympics. Some of the sprinters on that team were also football players who now play in the NFL. Uh, so that was my first experience with performance training. Um, I changed my major to food science and human nutrition because Clemson didn't have exercise physiology or anything in that realm. Uh, So nutrition was as close as I could get. And that's when I realized that nutrition was kind of the missing link where, you know, you could do all this training, but if you didn't eat right, you weren't going to get the results you wanted. Um, So to try to kind of make this long story as short as possible, um, performance became you know, something I just became obsessed with it. You know, when you see these guys at that highest level up close, uh, it's just a fantastic and, and, and fascinating thing. And I just became obsessed with being the best athlete possible. And then from there, I actually got hooked on uh, kind of bodybuilding, went down this route of uh, modeling, actually, because in a bodybuilding show, they said, you know, look, you're too tall. You need to be a model. So I said, OK, they said, hey, we'll send you to New York. Um signed a modeling contract. When I graduated college, it was either be an RD, uh, do, go do an internship and become an RD or registered dietitian, or uh, you can go to New York and be a model. And I was like, well, I'd rather, you know, try to get paid to lift weights and look good naked <laughs> yeah, yeah. Than, than sit in a hospital all day and tell somebody, you know, hey, look, dude, I know you just had a heart attack. You have to stop eating McDonald's. Um, yeah. So I went down that route, and and when I was in New York, I got to uh, you know got to do some modeling, um, got to help some other models with their diet, and started personal training, and that's where I really got into helping other people, and where I really saw that there was a lack of education on how to feed ourselves and how to eat, uh, and I think that's been the the biggest thing that's kind of stuck with me uh, for the last ten or twelve years is just that there really has to be an education of the American public on how to eat properly. You know, we're, we're not taught how to feed ourselves and, and how the body works and how to fuel ourselves. So when I left New York in 2009, I came back home, started work as a personal trainer. 2012 is when I started House of Strength, which is my gym. Um, and actually, just in the process of, of completing, uh, turning that over and selling that. So no longer a gym owner. And it's now been a year that I've been with Natural Stacks, doing the podcast, doing blogs, content, and things with Natural Stacks, helping to build that brand and try to spread the message uh, on a larger scale than just, you know, in the gym in one town. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, my brother, you know, as I said, owns a gym too, and it's been interesting watching him build that business. And it's like, <laughs> it's in, in, unless you're in some sort of franchise model it's difficult to scale, you know, and it's like you can help so many people and there's only so many of you and you can train coaches and you, I guess you can scale like coaching programs, but it's, 
it's not an overnight thing from from looking at that model from the outside. It's not like, oh, in two years, I'm going to have 45 gyms. And, you know, I mean, I think it requires kind of a personal touch, especially if what you're doing is is unique. If it's just like, yeah, pump iron, do cardio. Like if it's this right. old kind of outdated paradigm, I guess it'd be easier to just kind of replicate it. But um, it sounds like you are pretty into it and really helping people on a more personal level. So yeah, it was definitely a very kind of hands-on unique experience. And it's not one of those things where you can replicate yourself, right? Yeah. And and when I I tried to actually grow what we were doing at the gym through my own podcast on the gym, and it was the House of Strength podcast. And, And I ended up having to stop doing that because as you know, doing a podcast just takes up so much time. It, it just took me away from the gym too much. Yeah. Well, good for you, man. I'm glad you're able to sell it and you didn't have to just scrap it you know, right. after, putting, after putting the work in. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. And so going back to the food then, because, you know, I've been into health food since I was born, basically. Um, although, you know, I, I did eat a lot of McDonald's for a few years there and, and a lot of other things I shouldn't have been eating. But uh, I've noticed that it's interesting, but in the health world, you know, in like the gym rat culture... It's almost like that culture has been one of the slowest cultures to catch up to the modern paradigm of, of like what healthy eating is. And I, and I, you know, I've never been a huge gym guy. I just don't like the environment. I like moving my body. And now I work out, you know, four or five days a week, like really hardcore at my brother's gym. I finally like found that inner discipline. I'm there at 7 a.m. most days and the whole thing complete with an ice bath at the end. And I'm, I'm going in deep, but it took me a long time. But even now I'll walk into like, you know the smoothie place outside of Equinox or something. And I'm like, you guys are still eating this shit. It's like, (laughs) you know, it's like all carbs and everything has sugar in it. And I'm like, dude, like, you know, you see the trainers like bringing a client in there. Yeah. Have this fruit smoothie. And you know, it's like every, it's like, it's like the, a lot of people have caught on to the fat burns fat concept and, you know, with the paleo leanings and stuff, but it seems like that industry has kind of been sort of slow. So when did you start to, you know, see the innovations and the developments in terms of, you know, that whole calorie in, calorie out thing was bullshit as it turns out. And uh, so many of the things like fat makes you fat, all these myths. When did you start to see that crumble? And what's your current sort of view on how the industry perceives the diet piece? That is, uh, there's there's a lot there. That's a loaded question. Yeah, no, go nuts, go nuts. I I know, I just Uh unpacked like a a nuclear bomb of a (laughs) topic, you know, but I'd like to hear your perspective. I think I was really fortunate uh, in that I was going through the transition or or that that I was kind of being uh, indoctrinated into that bro culture at the exact same time that I was studying this stuff. So in, in the nutrition curriculum, at least when I, where I went to school, it was taught in, it's in two sides. You have all the science classes and then you have the, uh, like the, the planning a diet type stuff or the nutrition type stuff. And so all the sciences, you know, you got to take anatomy, biochem, molecular, you know, regular biology, organic chemistry, every science imaginable. And what I was learning in biochemistry and anatomy and and physiology and all this stuff, it didn't match up to what we were being taught to teach other people. So the reason I tell this story is because, you know, I've always kind of been a low-carb person. And part of that is also because I'm the only male in my family who's not diabetic. So at the very moment I was getting involved with all this stuff and becoming interested in it, diabetes, 
insulin resistance, insulin sensitivity, carbohydrates, those were all things that were on top of my mind. So as I'm going through, you know, metabolism courses and, and biochem, I'm paying very close attention to how our body handles carbohydrates, what it does with them. And, and, and I, it dawned on me very, very early that I don't want to sound like I'm a low carb guy or that I'm an anti-carb guy because um, I think it's very easy to sound that way. But I think we all need, you know, we all need some carbohydrates, but it's, it's finding the minimum effective dose. And from the very beginning, that was my goal was to try to find out what that was for each person. Um, so, so from the very beginning, it was always kind of a, a low carb approach for me. So it's always fascinated me to see people who follow a very high carb approach. And, and it's, you know, I have to believe that anyone who's in that, uh, that bro science dogma is kind of what I call it. You know, there's, there are a lot of great coaches out there, a lot of people who use carbohydrates and use them in a, in a higher amount and, and can, um, can effectively coach or, or train people. But, you know, I think that person, that stereotypical person that we're talking about where it's like, oh, hey, you know, great session, bro. Let's go to Jamba Juice and, you know, throw down 200 grams of sugar, um, you know, and eat carbs all day long. It's interesting that that doesn't change. We had Mark Sisson on our podcast and, and his quote was that most people hold their dietary beliefs more closely or, or, or stronger than their own religious beliefs. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's such a great statement because there, there's no faster way to anger somebody than to disagree with them on a dietary approach. So I think whenever we talk about this, it's, you know, it's, you know, I want to try to stick to the science of, of how the body works and, and then, you know, kind of be very cautious because the application of that science does differ from every individual. And within that individual, it differs as your output and your goals change. You know, so, so me, I'll use myself as an example. You know, if I'm going to go do CrossFit or a very high intensity workout, and I'm going to do it frequently, you know, for that two month span that I do that, let's say it's a two month span, my carbohydrate requirement is going to be much higher than it is if I went and did two months of yoga and backpacking and, you know, a much less uh, glycolytic demanding activities, right? So, so you have to look at the individual and you have to look at the goal or the activity. I guess to try to come back and answer that question about why the, the, the bodybuilding or the bro science world is, is reluctant to change is I can't answer that question because I really don't live in that world anymore. So I don't know. Um, but I think from the outside, it's hard to change people's opinions. Um, yeah. and, and if it, we know, look, we know that eating more carbohydrates will help you build more muscle. Um, and if that's, that's kind of like, it's one of those things where it's like, well, this is what we've always done. And, you know, there, there's a reluctance to say, oh, well, hey, without carbohydrates, a lot, the belief is that without carbohydrates, you can't build muscle, at least natural you know, maybe, maybe guys on steroids can do that, but, um, that's, that's the belief that always was the belief. And that's what I was told in that bodybuilding world. But I think there's, there's a lot of people building a lot of muscle following a paleo type approach or using a minimal effective dose of carbohydrates. You know, you don't need 300 grams of protein a day and you don't need 600 grams of carbohydrates a day to build muscle. Explain to our listeners, because it sounds like you might know the answer to this question. <laughs> 
why eating fat? Because, you know, I haven't had Mark Sisson on my show. Like, this is really the first kind of fitness and diet episode that I've done. Okay. Um, I know we're going to get into some other stuff. I mean, I definitely want to cover, like, smart drugs. That was my goal. But since right. we're here on the food, right. I, a lot of people that I meet in Hollywood, because I'm in Hollywood, California, right here. And, you know, I've worked in the entertainment industry for 17 years. When I tell people what my diet looks like, they are – I mean, I know I said I was skinny fat. <laughs> I'm 6'2", 180, so I'm not like an obese guy. I, just, right. I would rather be a bit more toned just to make that clear. I mean, I'm in decent shape, um, but not as decent as I would like. But when I tell people, oh, yeah, so I eat you know, a couple tablespoons of uh, butter in my coffee, and then I eat you know, coconut oil and avocado and this. And I mean, I eat tons of fat, veggies, and a little bit of meat, sometimes some fish. But whenever I talk about fat – Everyone's like, dude, you're going to get fat. What, you know, I don't want to eat, especially women. They're like, if I eat fat, I'm going to get fat. So can you give right. us like the layman's version of why fat doesn't make you fat? Yeah, I'll do my best to, to try to keep it simple. Um, so we're, we're biologically designed to store fat because we haven't known when and where our next meal was going to come from. So the problem is when, when we eat carbohydrates, all carbohydrates – whether they're good or bad, right? So, so no matter which kind you eat, they all get broken down into glucose. That's the usable form of energy for any carbohydrate, whether it's so, – so for easy comparison, let's just say that a sweet potato is a good carb and white bread is a bad carb, right? Because I think most people can, can visualize that and relate to that concept. Both of those, all carbs, good or bad, are broken down into glucose, Bad carbs are called bad carbs because they get broken into glucose faster and they spike your blood glucose or blood sugar quicker. So less time to turn it into glucose means more glucose in your bloodstream faster. So the, the good carbs are technically or, or they're, they're theoretically good because you have a more of a trickle of glucose into your bloodstream. So that's not incorrect, but the, the part where most people fail to to relate to this is that every time you eat carbohydrates, when you have glucose enter your bloodstream, there's only two ways for glucose to leave the bloodstream. One is through exercise, and that would be non-insulin-mediated glucose uptake. And that's a fancy way of saying that because you're moving, your muscles are going to pull glucose out of the bloodstream and into the muscle for immediate use. So if you think about a kid who never stops moving, the reason like when I said I was a teenager and I was skinny fat, the reason I didn't gain weight was because I was always pulling that glucose out of my bloodstream and using it for immediate energy. Or same thing like hummingbirds. If you have a hummingbird feeder, you feed them sugar water because they never stop moving. So they're always burning glycogen and, and glucose. As humans, the less we move, the less we need glucose as a fuel source. So the other way that glucose leaves the bloodstream is insulin. And insulin is the big key here when it comes to body composition. Body composition is kind of this, this term that we use to talk about how much muscle you have, how much body fat you have, right? So the more your body composition is shifted towards muscle, so like if you're 6 to 200 pounds and you were 10% body fat, then your lean body mass would be 180. You'd have 20 pounds of body fat on you, right? That's your body composition. Your your 90% you know lean body mass, 10% fat mass. So insulin is the key to energy balance and body composition. So every time you have glucose in your bloodstream, if you don't get it out 
by moving your muscles, then insulin has to come in and get rid of that glucose. Okay. I call insulin like, it's kind of like the honey badger. It doesn't give a shit. Or think of it like a snowplow going down the street. Like if you live in an area where you think about like a movie where a snowplow just goes down the street and it'll, you know, hit cars and just, it just, I don't care where you go. You just got to get out of here. Right. That's how insulin does with glucose in the bloodstream. And if your muscles aren't saying, oh, hey, we're active, we'll take it, send it over here, then the only place that it's going to go is into storage for use later as energy, which we just said is what? Adipose, adipose tissue. Adipose tissue, exactly. Right. So if we eat more carbohydrates than our muscles want or than we can store. Now, we can store glycogen in our muscles. So that glycogen is a form of stored carbohydrate within the muscles. Most people are somewhere between two to 400 grams uh, in storage capacity. So, you know, when you look at eating 600 grams of carbs a day, and if you can only store 400 as glycogen, well, you better be moving a lot or you're going to get fat fast, right? And you're going to develop insulin resistance and issues with carbohydrate metabolism. So for a safe number, let's just say most people are around two to 400 grams. The more muscle you have, the more glycogen you can store. Now, if, if your muscles aren't taking that glucose, then it goes to adipose tissue. You know, that's why if, if you're on this carbohydrate, if you're a sugar burner, um, as Mark Sisson calls it, then, you know, you're, you're always needing that next boost of sugar to, to feel like you have energy, right? So uh, we have these two fuel pathways. We can either use carbohydrates or we can use fat. Um, and if you're on this, um, if you're on the, the, the sugar burning or the carbohydrate pathway, it's kind of like getting paid, right? So if you get paid every two weeks and you run out of money in your, your checking account at the 10-day spot, before you dip into savings, you're probably going to shut down spending for the next four days, right? Isn't that how you would approach money? For sure, yeah. That's exactly what your body does. So if, if you've ever been a sugar burner, if you've ever been on that cycle of having to eat six meals a day and you eat every three hours and they're all carbohydrate containing meals, then at that two and a half hour mark, you know, oh man, I got to eat. And like, if you don't eat in the next 20 minutes or 30 minutes, you're going to, you know, you got to crawl under your desk and shut down and, you know, when am I going to eat? When am I going to eat? And that's because insulin and, and energy is waving up and down, up and down. You're a sugar burner. You can't tap into, even if you have body fat, stored energy, you won't tap into it because that's your savings. And your body says, oh, well, I know I'm going to get you know, cash influx in the next 20 or 30 minutes, so I'm just going to shut down and wait on that. Conversely, and this is why you know, so many people are gravitating towards the paleo approach, the, the fat approach or bulletproof approach. Uh, whatever you want to call it, if we keep insulin down and we don't have these spikes, then we don't have, so, so when you increase insulin, you get brain fog, you're not as sharp, it affects your physical performance, um, and, and then, of course, your energy goes up and down. Right? So to me, manipulating insulin and specifically keeping it low, as low as possible, solves basically every problem that people want. You get clearer thinking, you get better physical performance, you get better body composition, you have, you know, smoother energy through the day, right? So, yeah. um, 
that's when you, when you eat fat, you're, you're burning fat for fuel. So here's a great example. And I forget where this came from. This isn't my example. So, so if somebody listening knows who provided this, uh, you know, I'd love to be able to give them credit. But if you think about somebody running a marathon and they are, you know, using these goos or these gel packs, right. And then it runs out like a lot of endurance athletes will bonk because they're out of sugar or carbohydrates and they still have, we all, no matter how lean you are, you have body fat stores that you can tap into. And if you're not fat adapted, or if you, you can't get into that fat burning pathway because you're sugar dependent or you're a sugar burner, then your body doesn't make that transition. So, you know, our approach is, is to try to get people to become fat adapted, burn fat for fuel. Um, so, you know, that's part of drinking butter in your coffee, uh, eating a, a moderate protein, higher fat paleo type diet, and you become fat adapted. And, you know, when you do that, you can go you know, it's not like I say, hey, I don't want to eat today. But if, if life happens and, and stuff goes on, like I can get through the day. I'm not going to shut down and, you know, be useless like I used to be if I was in that stuck in that carbohydrate cycle. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully it's, that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. That's, dude, that's beautiful. I mean, the idea here, and this is my own subjective experience when I, and when we're, you know, you guys listening, when we're saying fat, we're not talking about like getting a, you know, pouring a cup of grease from the deep fryer at Taco Bell. This is like good, healthy fats, grass fed butter, ghee, coconut oil, etc. Just, just to be clear, there's a huge difference in the type of fats, right? Absolutely. Um, but when I, dude, when I, basically it's like, I mean, I'm a broken record with the Bulletproof Coffee and people, you know, probably think I'm like some kind of shill or something. But when I first started drinking Bulletproof Coffee and introducing that much like good fat early in the day, I mean, I just would forget to eat all day and I'm still like that. And what's happened is, you know, I'm sort of the ringleader of my little crew of, of homies and stuff. And, you know, I'm just like the pioneer that try shit out and sees if it works. And if it works, everyone else kind of opts in. And if it doesn't work, they're like, wow, at least Luke got to suffer the consequences. But um, it's pretty much like a requirement if I'm going to date a girl or like have friends I hang out with, like, dude, you got to become fat adapted because <laughs> I can't hear you whining about having to eat every five minutes. Like I just, I'm so not interested in like food. I, and it's, it's been great for my productivity. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not to say I don't like to go out for a nice meal or something like that, but food does not control my day at all. Like I control my day and food's just like, um, let me see, right now it's uh, 340 we started this call at three and I had lunch, um, you know, around two 30 and that was the first meal I had all day. And I worked out this morning. Um, yeah, it was like a, a kind of a lighter mobility drill. I wasn't like, you know, heavy lifting or anything, but I've had an active day. I had a couple meetings, I'm doing shit. And then it must've been, yeah, it was around two 30. I was like, wow, I could really eat. And I went and had a huge salad, um, a grass-fed lamb burger, um, an avocado, two sides of pastured bacon, and I'm, I probably won't get hungry at all until maybe like seven o'clock. And I came home and had like a, um, you know, like kind of an herbal fatty drink after that just to get primed for the call. And it's so interesting as each one of my friends kind of opts into this way of eating, <laughs> they're just like shocked at how little they care about food and they can yes. just like have lasting energy. It's so crazy. And, and what I've noticed too about it is just my mood is so much more stable, dude. Yep. 
is in my life, I mean, I've, I've really suffered from a lot of anxiety and depression and just fits of anger. And I mean, I've just, not in recent years, but earlier in life, I mean, I was like almost psychotic, you know what I mean? And I was just a really unhappy person. So with all the kind of inner emotional and spiritual work that I've done, this missing link here of having like a fat burning brain has been crucial to just having like really like a more steady mood, not having like this hypoglycemic, weird, like dips in energy and suddenly being irritable and all that kind of stuff that comes with um, having a lack of good fats and just living off that glucose, the carbs and sugar, essentially. There are all kinds of studies to support some of those issues, anxiety, and we know that low serotonin levels can cause carbohydrate cravings. So, there's a tremendous amount of relationship there between the way we eat and our uh, our productivity, our mood, our happiness, all of that. Yeah, and to to piggyback on what you were saying about not caring about eating, as you know, as a business owner for the last three four years, that's been huge for me, and that was a big part of you know my transition to kind of what we call the intermittent fasting approach or the bulletproof fasting approach, where get up in the morning, you have coffee, you get the fats that you need, a little bit of caffeine, you hit the ground running. Um, you know, it's funny that you mentioned bulletproof coffee. I, I always equate it to kind of the world going from black and white to color. Uh, and that, that really is what it's like. You, you're providing your, your brain the fats that it needs to function and, and process information very quickly. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's life-changing when you can free yourself from having to eat every two or three hours. You get so much more done. You're so much happier. At least that's been my experience. And, and yeah. so many others um, are, are saying the same thing. So, so I, don't wanna, I, I definitely don't want it to sound like it's, it's not judgmental. It's not saying, hey, if you don't do this, you're wrong. Um, but I think when you hear most people talk about this approach, it's like, I think we're all just kind of shocked that it had such a profound change for us in a positive way that, you know, we want other people to be able to experience that too. Yeah. And you were so right before when you, when you talked about, um, you know, Mark Sisson's comment about people being so attached to their dietary, <laughs> you know, regimens. And I know I've been guilty of this because, you know, throughout the past 20 years, everything that I get on, whether I was a vegetarian and getting all my friends, you have to be a vegetarian and I mean, just like every kind of, you know, food trend and thing that's been hyped and come out, I jump on and then want everyone to do it. And, you know, I've seen how it tends to polarize people. And I have friends that are vegans. I have friends that are paleo. And, you know, I don't tell anyone what to do. If someone asks me, I mean, all I can really do is say, hey, this is like what's really working for me at the moment. But who knows, my, my, my biology will hopefully evolve and I might someday be a vegan myself. Who knows, you know, but right now this is working. So... I find an easy way to avoid that contention and argument with people. Like uh, someone the other day asked me why I ate something or other. And he's like, don't you know, da, da, da. And he's like, well, why do you do it? And I just said, it just makes me feel good. <laughs> it's like, I don't really, and I'm not going to explain the science or the reason or whatever. Just, it makes me feel good. Like that's something you can't argue with. It's, you know, why do I eat sardines? They're the fucking disgusting. They taste like cat food. I mean, I, they're, they're really the grossest food on the planet. But when I eat a can of sardines, I feel really good. I, I don't know. I'm sorry. You know, it's just, but see, I don't identify, I don't thankfully identify who I am as a, as a spirit, as a being by like the type of fuel I put in my body, right. which I find, you know, at the far end of the paleo caveman meat eating, you know, hunter gatherer yeah. spectrum. And then in the vegan, you know, save the world, which is beautiful. And I appreciate that. But, you know, you're a freaking murderer if you eat. A chicken or something. Uh, 
that people, a lot of people tend to identify who they are by the type of fuel. It's yeah. almost like, yeah, dude, I'm a hybrid and you're a, you're a unleaded burner. It's like, yeah. man, it's just all fuel. And, you know, some people feel good on certain types of fuel and others on the other. Uh, but yeah, I, I love to see everyone just getting along better. But on, on that note, I'd like to ask you, cause I'm, I'm always curious, um, having been a vegetarian for many, many years myself and just been so unhealthy on that food program personally it just you know i didn't know it wasn't working for me until i changed it and um developed you know kind of the the dietary choices that i make now which are i would say even cleaner and much more healthy because they're not inflammatory like so many of the things i was eating as a vegetarian unknowingly but i wonder um you know for a vegan that wants to be fat adapted and burn ketones instead of glucose what what would be a suggestion for someone who just really doesn't want to eat any animal products how could they get an adequate amount of of fuel without getting on that glucose sugar burning sort of up and down roller coaster is there is there a way to do that through your based on what you know there's certainly a way um it would be a highly individual thing. Um, I can tell you that that I have not worked with a vegan um, and getting them into a fat adapted state. But I mean, off the top of my head, the basic biochemistry still applies. I mean, to become fat adapted, you need to not have carbohydrates and you need to be signaling your body, hey, here's fat, this is the fuel that we're going to burn. So depending on their personal choices, you would really have to be careful about the fat sources that you chose. So the whole not having carbs or, or the carbs that you would avoid would still, that would be unchanged. That would be the same process. The protein sources would, would have to be very, very carefully chosen because, I mean, let's face it, most protein sources are not vegan choices. And, and to find a, a protein source that is also low-carb and vegan is nearly impossible. Uh, so I think that's where it would become very tricky. I'm sure it could be done uh, with a little bit of research. Yeah. Um, most omega-3s, again, are going to come from from fish or other animal sources. So, I mean, there, there's some big concerns there. I mean, personally, the science doesn't add up uh, for me to ever go vegan. But yeah. I realize that that's a personal choice. Uh, and if that's the way somebody wants to go, then you know I would just want to make sure that they're getting everything that they need to function optimally. Yeah. I mean, my friends that are vegan, they, uh, they get their labs done and they seem fine, you know, but I've also had, uh, those are male friends, like pretty fit guys, right. one in particular, but I have had a couple female friends that have just been vegetarian and their iron was just wrecked. Their B12 was wrecked. Their fatty acids are wrecked. I mean, and they just like literally my uh, business partner actually recently was told by multiple doctors, dude, you need to eat meat, <laughs> like straight yeah. up, you know, and it's just like now she's, you know, a very clean diet and she feels amazing. Her labs are right. It's just like instantly fixed it. So I always trip on that, you know, because I personally have always had kind of a moral dilemma. I I don't really want to kill animals. I, I'm not, um, you know, I was raised like in two different worlds where dad was a hunter, mom was like a hippie. And so I kind of took more on the mom's side than dad's. I never really identified with that culture, but I just, my body does not work without the stuff that I eat now. So it's like, you know, it's a bit of a dilemma. It's kind of like, fuck, it's me or them. You know, it's like, I, 
I get it, and I don't, you know, I'm not, like, down for supporting factory farming, and, you know, I eat as consciously as I can, but, like, dude, I need energy to complete my mission here, so it's it's always an interesting thing, and I don't like to get in, you know, a debate. It's, like I said, whatever gets you through the night, whatever makes you happy, man, go for it. Yeah. Um, but, I'm, you know, I'm curious, because people ask me, they're like, well, dude, it, it sounds great, this diet thing you've got going, but I really don't want to eat animals, and I'm always like, shit, you're going to be eating a lot of coconut oil, I don't know, you Yeah, know? yeah <laughs> I mean, like, it, it, it certainly can be done, and I mean, I think to elaborate on what you said previously, I mean, is this working for you? Do you feel great? And if you take an objective look at that and the answer is no, then maybe you need to make some changes. If, if the answer is yes, then, you know, hey, keep doing what you're doing, no matter how you eat the quality of food that you choose is paramount. You know, yeah. we want to make sure, like you mentioned earlier, that it's grass-fed meat or wild-caught fish or high-quality fats. We're not talking about the cheese on Pizza Hut pizza or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, so you mentioned deficiencies, which takes us into the next area that I'd like to explore, and that is supplementation. So obviously you've got your natural stacks. For those of you watching this on YouTube, you've got your natural stacks gear, like <laughs> riding high. And I, and I love the company. I'm, you know, yeah. very happy to shout you guys out and support you. Um, I think I'm an affiliate of some kind and I love for people to support that brand. It's everything I've tried from you guys is great. So I have no shame in promoting that and um, you shouldn't either. And I've noticed that you guys, you know, you, you cover a couple nootropics and I want to get into that. But um, whenever anyone I know, including myself, gets their labs done, there's two really important nutrients that are always deficient. And I mean, I was shocked when I went in because I supplement with these and I was still deficient. And that would be vitamin D3 and magnesium. Yep. So what's up with those and any other of the, you know, of the micronutrients that people can be deficient in and, and what happens if we don't have those and how can we get more of them into us? Part of the micronutrient mineral deficiency and, and even vitamin D deficiency uh, has a lot to do with the lifestyle that, that we live today. Um, we're not outside as much as we used to be. Unless you live at the equator, you're not in the sun. You're not exposing your body to as much sunlight as we used to. And, and our body naturally makes vitamin D from sunlight. So if you're not outside, if you're not getting enough sun exposure, you're going to be vitamin D deficient unless you're supplementing with a high quality vitamin D. Um, and depending on who you talk to, that number is always different. Uh, the test that you want to get is the uh, 25-hydroxy. I forget all the stuff. That's probably the one that you got. Yeah, um, yeah, it was. And as far as like the other micronutrients and, and minerals, and this is a whole conversation on the factory farming and monocultures and how we're raping our soil. Soil quality is shit compared to what it used to be. You know, the, the nutrients in a tomato or cucumber today – pale in comparison to what they were 60, 70, 200 years ago. And a lot of that is because of the factory farming process. So we're not getting magnesium through our diet the way we used to. We don't eat as much real food as we used to. So even if it had the same amount, that doesn't make up the same percentage of our diet for the standard person as it does uh, or as it once did. And then, you know, you hit on something that's perfect for this conversation where you know, you said, I, I was surprised that I was deficient in magnesium because I was supplementing with it. Well, the thing that a lot of people don't know, first of all, if you take any mineral, make sure that the form of the mineral you're taking ends in the letters A-T-E. 
Right. So this is this right. is what's called a, a chelated mineral. Um, so what you wouldn't want is like a zinc oxide or magnesium oxide. Those are, are really really cheap forms of that mineral, and they're very poorly absorbed by your body. So you might as well uh, you're not you might as well be taking nothing. But on top of that, there's only one form of magnesium that we know of that crosses the blood brain barrier, and it is magnesium L3 and 8. It was actually discovered in Alzheimer's labs at UCLA. Uh, it's now got a patent on it. It's through MIT. We have that in our MagTech, and that's why everyone who takes our MagTech loves it. Uh, Dude, I, I love that stuff. I take it, I take four of them every night yep. right and, before bed. And it's so weird to, to think like, you know, most people don't feel supplements, right? Especially something like a magnesium, but everybody who takes MagTech is like, man, this stuff makes a difference. And it really does. We had um, AIDP is the company who has a patent on, uh, and the trade name is MagTeen, but it's magnesium L3 and 8. And that's the foundation of our MagTech complex. But we had uh, their vice president of R&D, Dr. Jennifer Gu, was on our podcast. And there are studies that prove that this compound increases synapse density within two weeks. So two weeks of using this stuff twice a day, and you have increased synapse density. So that means more neural networks in your brain, okay? That's awesome. It takes gray cells, which are kind of like between alive and dead neural cells, and brings them back to green or living brain cells. So in the studies, it actually lowered brain age by nine years because it has the ability to bring back those cells. And like I said earlier, it's the only magnesium that crosses the blood-brain barrier. So it doesn't matter how much magnesium whatever you take, if it's not getting to your brain, it's not increasing brain concentrations of magnesium. Right. Uh, it was really interesting. She talked about the dose that they give in an IV in a hospital if they need to increase someone's magnesium level. And it was astronomical compared to what the average person takes in a supplement. So it's like, well, no wonder, you know, taking a supplement, you know, orally, you're not fixing a deficiency. Yeah. So, so it, it's, it's kind of a multifactorial reason that, that we're deficient in it, but it's, you know, that hopefully that kind of paints the picture, but then it's like, look, when you do take a supplement, let's make sure that, you know, it's of the highest quality and, and our stance with natural stacks, and I'm, I'm glad you love our products. You know, we, we're very fond of them obviously, but, but our mission is, you know, to educate people on this stuff, but also natural stacks was started because we were fed up with the state of the supplement industry. You know, we wanted to take better supplements and the stuff we wanted to take didn't exist. Yeah. So it's like, well, let's make it ourselves. And, yeah. you know, our big thing is is being open sourced. So if you're a coder, you know what that means. Uh, if, you, if you don't know what that means, it simply means that we're telling you exactly what's in our product. We never hide behind a proprietary label. You're never going to see an athlete say, oh, well, I failed a drug test because I didn't know what Natural Stacks was putting in their product. You know, as a matter of fact, we have, uh, we have Olympic athletes and professional athletes who take our products. They pass their drug tests because they know exactly what's in our product. And, and what we're putting in our product is exactly what we're saying. And that's part of our initiative. And, and we'll have more details about this in, in the future. But, but we're really trying to raise the standard for what is and what is not acceptable uh, in the supplement industry. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. Because I've, I 
<laughs> I just put out an episode. I think it came out today, actually, of, of this show uh, called "Confessions of a Vitamin Junkie," and it was with a you know like a functional medicine doctor named Kelly Bender, who owns a clinic here in LA. And I do a lot of vitamin and mineral IV stuff. You know, I'm always okay. like shooting up vitamins. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like that works, but. And it's, you know, it's expensive. I mean, it's like 150 bucks a pop. I do it every time when I travel, like on the way to LAX, I literally stop at the spot, get my shots or my IV. And then on the, I take my Uber back from LAX, from New York, stop and get my shots. I mean, it's just, it's my thing. But dude, if, if I like had a, you know, some sort of, um, calculation of how much money I've wasted on some shit that I found at the health food store, I'm like, Oh, magnesium, this vitamin D, this, I mean, I've bought so much swag stuff just by not knowing what to look for, you know, the type of magnesium, for example, the version of it that, you know, you can actually use. And I mean, God, I've probably spent just thousands and thousands of dollars on something that was worthless. And, right. um, and now I still see a lot of those, the old vanguard of the supplement companies. I mean, I don't want to name names, but there's probably like five really big commercial companies that you'd find in like a GNC or in Whole Foods or something. And it's like, you walk by the whole row and pretty much every product they make is just total shite. You know, it's just yeah. like, it's just not, it's just expensive pee, you know, essentially. Yep. And so, um, that's why I'm really keen to support, you know, great companies that come out and like have that integrity and that transparency and, and the stuff that you actually feel like that's, you know, I, I used to be quite the partier back in my day. And like, when I put something in my mouth, like I want to know something's <laughs> happening. Like I, yeah. I want to be like, yeah, this is different. You know, it's like why, why coffee is such a great herb. I mean, if you drink some good quality coffee, something happens and you're like, right. Oh, I feel different. Right. And if I'm going to spend money and time and energy on something, I want to know it works. And that, you know, would bring us kind of into the smart drug thing, which I want to cover with Siltep. But going back to the mineral and micronutrient deficiencies for those people listening, I want to see if, if this makes sense to you. But my brain works in kind of infographics in very okay. simple terms because I'm not a sciencey guy. So right. going back to the soil and why, you know, why you would need to supplement, like, because a lot of people just go, dude, just, you know, eat organic food and you get everything you need from the food. And to me, it works like this, okay? Within soil and within the, the earth, right, you have minerals, which are ground-up rocks and sand, and then you have microorganisms and this whole synergistic thing called soil, which we think is just some dead dirt. But soil is actually a living organism in its truest form, right? And this country, the whole country used to be covered in, I think it's like 8 to 10 feet of topsoil. Now we're down to inches, you know, through overpopulation and just negligent farming practices and whatnot. So the way I look at it is like this. You basically have ground up rocks in the dirt, in the soil, right? And plants are able to eat and drink the minerals from that rock, from the earth, right? They make it become bioavailable to either us if we eat the plant directly or an animal eats that, concentrates those, those micronutrients and minerals, and then we eat the organs or muscle of the animal, right? Mm -hmm. But if... What we're looking for for our sustenance and our well-being and our health isn't present in that dirt, in that soil in the first place, then the plants that you get out of it and the plants that the animals are eating then then you're eating are just empty calories essentially. And that's why a head of iceberg lettuce is basically just green water at this point, right? You Where, nailed it. Yeah. You know, that's, and that's perfect. I think of everything kind of in a cartoon <laughs> sequence, you know, it's like, that's how right. I understand it just from the most basic principle of nature. So if I could just take a freaking rock and put it in a big grinder and eat the rock and assimilate the minerals from it, I'd be good <laughs> to go. But 
I need a plant to do that for me. And then in many cases, an animal or a fish or something to then take that plant and concentrate those nutrients. And so, you know, that's the crux of the issue. And that's why I am a self-confessed, you know, admitted vitamin junkie, because it's like, there are just certain things that you need to be optimal that you can't get from your average grocery store food, even the right. healthiest, most, most, most organic food. Yeah. It doesn't matter how organic your food is. If it came from barren soil, it's not going to have the nutrients that you want. So it all comes down to soil quality and yeah. you nailed it. Yeah. That, yeah. That's, that cool. was perfect. And then, and then on the other end of the spectrum, here's something to trip on too, is you have ancient yogis from India that are breatharians and they just sun gaze and don't even eat anything and they live till they're 105. You know, it's like, I was listening to a Wim Hof interview a couple of days ago on the Rich Roll podcast and he's like, so, you know, you're a vegetarian and, and right? And Wim's like, um, mostly, he goes, I eat once a day, like around six and... Um, I think on Ben Greenfield's show, he, he said what he ate specifically. He was like, yeah, I may eat like a tomato and have a couple beers, you know? <laughs> it's like, and this is a guy who climbs Everest in his underwear, you know? So it's yeah. like, you, you do need this stuff, but they're also on the other side of it in some strange metaphysical world. It's like mind over matter also counts. And it's like, shit, who knows? Maybe you can just manifest magnesium out of the air at a certain level of consciousness. I don't know. But I do find from wherever I am in my own evolution that... I definitely benefit from from some you know smart supplementation. You know, I, I think it goes back to again. You know, is it working for you? What works for you? Right. And, right. I mean, let's let's be honest. I think we'd all like to be Wim Hof, but there's only one of those guys, and uh, just because yeah. it works for him doesn't mean it's going to work for us. Uh, yeah, I, can't, I can't see a whole lot of people surviving on one tomato and three beers. Yeah, me either, dude, me either. I don't, I don't get it. I bet, you know, like, I don't know. They study him. They do his labs. He seems fine, you know. So I always second guess all this. You know, someday I might look back and go, oh, God, that, you know, that 30 years you put into being a health nut, Luke, was a waste of time. You could have just sun-gazed and, like, you know, and just called it a day. You know, but, I don't but know. But that's, that's the joy of life is you get to, you get to go down these rabbit holes. You, this is it's all part of your journey and it will lead you you'll, you'll learn something from it you'll have all these experiences these people that you've met and this you know I, I don't I don't see how anything could be a waste if unless it was you know detrimental totally and I've done a lot of detrimental things too okay so vitamin d3 uh, before we move on from that uh, someone told me something interesting the other day I think it was when I did a show with Evan brand from not just paleo and because I'm I'm a sun dog. I mean, I live in L.A. It's sunny every single day. I get naked sun time all the time. I hop in someone's backyard. I'm, I mean, I'm like down with the sun. I don't get sunburned. I just soak it up. It's amazing. And so I'm thinking, why would I need to supplement D3? But Evan told me, he goes, well, dude, after 40, he said something to the effect that your body stops producing D3 on its own in a major way after 40. So if you're a male after 40, you can be out in the sun all day long and just your body's production of D3 kind of starts to naturally slow down. I thought that was interesting. I hadn't heard that before. So anyway, that's just one aside. Yeah. But I want to, because you talked about the different forms of magnesium, and since D3 is also one that most humans, especially people that are very dark-skinned that live in an area where there's not a lot of sun or they're not getting exposure, and it, I mean, this is really dangerous for anyone listening. Like, if you're not, if you're low in D3, man, it has a cascade effect that can really be you know, harmful in so many ways and lead to yep. high blood pressure and getting on statins and all kinds of stuff. Um, so... 
I've looked into D3 and it seems like there's a couple different forms. There's a vegan form made from like algae or something. And then it seems like most of the good ones are made from lanolin, which is kind of this, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's like an oil from the glands of sheep, I believe. Yeah, sheep's wool. Mm-hmm. Sheep's wool. Is, and what's up with like the different, um, you know, formulations of D3? I, I'm actually, I don't have the answer to that one for you, um, okay. but uh, but you are correct. I mean, the, there are more vitamin D deficiencies in people with darker skin because they need more sunlight to make right. the same amount of vitamin D, right? So right. again, the further you are from the equator and the darker your skin, the more you want to be supplementing with vitamin D3. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of those forms, I, I'm not sure of, uh, you know, what's the difference, I guess, you know. If, if you're vegan, then you're, you're you're wanting to look for one that's you know from not a lamb. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, you, you, <laughs> yeah, That that honestly, that's probably why. It's probably a company that was like, hey, we're vegans. We want vitamin D three. You know, how do we make it ourselves without you know an animal source? Yeah. Um, somewhere yeah. way back, that's how that source probably started. All right, cool. And then. How, let me see, we're coming up, you know, on an hour here and I could probably do another episode with you just on nootropics and smart drugs. <laughs> okay. So I, don't, I don't think I'm going to go into that this time. That, it was funny because that was originally, I was like, cool, we'll just touch on the diet thing, but yeah. you know, you're knowledgeable. So there we go. That's how the show goes. The show just runs itself. But I would, I would like to touch on, um, you know, in terms of supplementation and just lifestyle, some ways in which we might improve sleep. And I know you guys make a prebiotic formula now, which I'm really interested in trying. And I've recently been studying a lot just about gut health and the gut biome, which, you know, those of you listening, we're talking about the bacteria that's present in your digestive tract. What does that have to do with sleep and, you know, the other types of supplementation? Like what can we do in terms of our diet or supplements to improve our sleep? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I guess one of the big trends in health in the last few years has been the the connection between our gut and our brain or the second brain or the gut brain connection there's there's so many different ways to say it um dr perlmutter has done a great job writing about that if if you're familiar with him and his books uh grain brain was the first one and uh what's the second one it's got broccoli on the front um, yeah, I can't. I haven't read it, but I know what you're talking about. Um, we'll we'll just, put it in the um, in the show notes in the episode upgrade. It's yeah. his, his main book is called um, Grain Brain, right? Yeah, yeah. and and yeah. he just spoke at Paleo FX, and it was basically a summary of this second book. And I don't, it's I don't know why it's eluding me right now, but so we know that there's been a recent study. It was published in I think it was Cell, the journal Cell, where up to ninety percent of the serotonin in our body, in our brain is actually produced in our gut. Uh, and that's a big discovery. Serotonin, if you're not familiar with, is a neurotransmitter that governs mood, fear, anxiety. Um, these are things that, I mean, how many times have you laid awake uh, at night in bed with, you know, any of those emotions going on, right? So, uh, so we know serotonin has, has an impact on productivity, our mood, our ability to sleep. Um, you know, specifically talking about our product, the prebiotic. So to give your, your listeners a brief overview of what that is, it is a resistant starch complex. And resistant starches are carbohydrates that are resistant to digestion, which is why they're called resistant starches. So even though you may see on the label, 
this many carbohydrates, they're really not carbohydrates because they're not digested in the stomach like other carbohydrates. They actually pass straight through intact and they wind up in your uh, colon, your digestive system, where they are fermented uh, or, or digested by the good bacteria that's in your gut. Those good bacteria are also called probiotics. So basically, prebiotics are food for your probiotics. So one of the questions we get all the time is, hey, if I take probiotics, do I need prebiotics? Or if I take prebiotic, do I still need to take my probiotics? The answer is you want both, right? The, the prebiotics is food, are, are food for probiotics. The one caution that I always give everyone on probiotics is that it's very difficult to ensure that the probiotics you're ingesting, especially if it's supplement form, are actually the quality uh, and, and the live cultures that you think you're getting. Um, so most, most of the really expensive, high-quality probiotics are sold in the refrigerated section of some health food store, right? Well, what guarantees do you have if you bought that in September that it didn't spend the entire month of August in a 100-degree steamy warehouse or in the back of a, an 18-wheeler. You know, it probably wasn't shipped refrigerated. You know, the, the stock boy at, you know, GNC or some other vitamin distributor probably didn't take care of them. You don't have a guarantee of that. And I'm not saying that they're, they're all dead and they're, that they're not what you think they are, but they may not be. So for that reason... My suggestion and our suggestion is always to try to eat your probiotics. Fermented vegetables are one of the greatest things that you can eat. Um, they do so much to help your gut. They're full of RNA. They're full of vitamin K. They're full of things that actually, uh, you know, they, they have these like upgraded things. You know, it, it, it's beyond just the calories, right? And, and any time that you can do one thing that also has multiple benefits or multiple purposes, you know, that's what we, that's where we want to be. So it's kind of a long-winded answer, but you want to eat your probiotics if you can. So kimchi, yeah. sauerkraut, any kind of fermented foods like that, uh, even raw apple cider vinegar has a little bit. Um, that's basically what the mother is. Um, so, so you get the probiotics, you get the good bacteria in your gut. We recommend taking our prebiotic 30 to 60 minutes before bed. Some people are even taking it at dinner, so it's a couple of hours before bed. But what happens when you when you when this prebiotic passes through your stomach, it gets into your small intestine, it's digested through fermentation uh, by this good bacteria. The byproduct then is butyrate, which if you drink butter coffee, you know butyric acid comes from butter, and that's one of the things that is is kind of the beginning of that GABA pathway. Um, so we can have increased GABA levels, which are associated with feelings of calm and relaxation. Uh, and, and this is how it can help promote great, restful, restorative sleep. I can't tell you how many people have come up to us and said, man, I'm taking Magtech and prebiotic and I've had the best sleep of my life. I mean, we have former UFC champions uh, and, and I can probably just say his name, Keith Jardine, um, because he said it on our podcast. So if you've listened to the podcast we did with Caveman Coffee, um, Keith Jardine says it. And, and, you know, he's he's a guy who's had some issues sleeping post fight career. Um, which, I mean, let's face it, anybody who's been in a combat sport for a lot of, 
uh, of years is going to have some some head issues, um, you know, head traumas and injuries. Um, and now he's sleeping through the night like he hasn't in a long, long time because of the magnesium and the prebiotic. And it's not just him. It's not just people with head injuries. Um, you know, so many people have said, hey, I sleep so much better. I'm sleeping through the night from either just taking one of those or that combination. Uh, so so yeah. that's something that, that we get really excited about because um, we, you know, that's why we make this stuff because we wanted it for ourselves. And then if we can, <laughs> if we can share it with people and they get the same great result, then it's like, Hey, this is, you know, this is what we want to do. I'm pumped to try it because I've been putting in my sleep stack, which is just, I don't know if I lived out in the middle of the woods, I'd probably just be natural and just go sleep in a teepee and it'd be fine. But I live in the middle of the goddamn city, dude. Yeah. I mean, I have to knock myself out to sleep through the night, honestly. So my sleep stack, I mean, I've given it to people that, you know, they're over here 10, 11 at night and they're like, oh, I don't know if I'm able to sleep. I'm like, cool, have my sleep stack. And they almost like wreck their car on the way home. I mean, it <laughs> knocks you on your ass. But something I put in my sleep stack is, um, is a resistant starch made from cornstarch. Yep. for the, the same kind of purpose. And, yep. uh, but that's only one kind of starch. And, yeah. you know, yeah. the company swears that it's non-GMO, but I don't, I'm not that excited about eating any form of corn, no matter where it's from. It's just, right. it's not really a food to me. And there's a lot of issues with it that I don't have time to get into. But, um, but having that prebiotic, and then I'll definitely, I make like fermented raw goat kefir. I put some of that in there. So it's this crazy like prebiotic, probiotic. There you go. Stack at night yeah. with yeah. with your guys' magnesium. And I mean, it literally just, it knocks you on your ass. It's it's amazing. So I'm, I'm looking awesome. forward to trying that. And, you know, you mentioned that um, your gut bacteria produces serotonin. And I recently, I wanted to add this on, I recently heard someone that I think was credible from what I remember because it stuck in my head that it wasn't bullshit, uh, that your gut also produces much of your melatonin, which of course is a hormone that has so much to do with the quality of your sleep. So I think there's, there's like a lot to the whole like nighttime ritual of supplementation and just gut health when it comes to sleep. It's, it's a, it's a cool area of research and discovery right now that I'm, I'm already, I'm already convinced just subjectively, but I can't wait to see more, more on that come out. Yeah. I think we're, we're right on the the verge. I think the next five years, we're going to learn so much more about digestion, digestive health and, and how that whole system influences everything else. Um, you know, from, from autoimmune disease to, uh, neurological disorders to you know psychological stuff. It's it's going to be fascinating to see what we learn in the next five or ten years there. Um, but we'll send you some prebiotics so you can experiment awesome. with it. Um, awesome, dude! I love it. I so love I, it. I said I said it was a resistant starch complex. It has three yeah. different types of resistant starch. So we've got raw potato flour, uh, green banana flour, and inulin FOS. And one thing I always caution people with is that they like to cook with it and they'll put it in recipes as a uh, starch replacer. So you can make cookies or brownies or, or any baked goods, breads with it. You do lose some of the resistant starch properties because as they are in the powder, they're raw. Well, if you cook with them, they're not raw anymore. So just keep that in mind. 
Yeah, that's that's good for the listeners to know. It wouldn't matter for me because <laughs> I only cook one dish, and it's it's like um, ground grass fed beef with some um, hot sauce on it and ghee in a pan. <laughs> Sounds good. I I'm like I can't stand cooking. You know that's why I'm currently single. Any ladies listening, if you like to cook, we could talk. Um, but I I was spoiled for a period of time and. Uh, had a lot of great cooking done, and at the moment I don't, sadly. So I'm back to like my ground beef, and then I make green, green smoothies. How I get my vegetables in is these really gnarly sort of green vegetable smoothies. It's sad. My eating habits are sad. Healthy, but not that tasty, unfortunately. So good to know. We won't try to. We won't try to cook. I don't know why I just said the shit that I just said. That was really retarded. But. Um, we will definitely not cook with the prebiotic unless we're willing to sacrifice some of its inherent effect. Yep. Okay, so as we come, wow, well, we, we really covered a lot of stuff. This has been awesome, man. I really appreciate it, Ryan. Good. As we come yeah. to the end of the show here, um, you know, you've taught me and taught our listeners so much. So you're our guru for today. Who have you learned from? Who are your teachers, your mentors, whether that be a philosophy, a person, a book, anything? Mm. Who are three places we could go above your level where you got some of this information? Wow. That's a tough one. That's a great question. Um, as a podcast host, I might have to steal that. Um, so it's open we already, source. It's open source. Feel free. We already mentioned Mark Sisson. Um, I, he's done so much for the primal ancestral health community. Um, I just listened to a podcast where Steve Maxwell was a guest. Um, so I'll, I'll list him as one as well. He's in the health and fitness world. Steve just turned 60. Mark is a little bit over 60. Uh, and Steve said something very interesting on the show where he was a guest. He was actually a guest on the Joe Rogan show. Um, and Steve said, you know, don't listen to something that, that any quote unquote guru or coach says if they're under 60, because they don't know if what they're talking about has longevity. And it kind of, you know, touches on what you were saying earlier. We don't know what's going to happen years down the road from, you know, some of these things that, uh, that are kind of new. So, you know, if, if Mark Sisson talks about it from a health standpoint, or if Steve Maxwell talks about it from a fitness standpoint, um, it's probably something that has stood or is standing the test of time. So I think both of those guys are great places to look. Both would probably be great potential guests. I think for the third one, I'd say uh, Dr. David Perlmutter. We, we kind of mentioned him earlier. Um, I think he would be a great one for your listeners to kind of go a little bit deeper on this subject of, of how food impacts your health, your longevity, your brain function, uh, and, and how your gut plays into all of that. So, yeah, there's there's three and and they're all guys that have been doing this for a long time. So the things that they're going to say, you know, stand the test of time. Steve Maxwell, uh, Mark Sisson, Dr. David Perlmutter. Awesome, man. Three really great recommendations. And I am after all of those guys to get them on the show for sure. Okay. And, you know, it's, it's funny. I didn't really think about that. But someone, you know, who's over 60 that's giving you health advice, um, if they are vibrant and healthy. I mean, you look at Mark Sisson. I'm 45. And that guy's like, he's like ripped. I mean, I yeah. want the body that he has. I'm, you know, usually you look yeah. at a guy that's 21. You're like, oh, man, I wish I was cut like that dude. But it's right. like, I'd be perfectly happy at 45 to have what he has at 60. And at least, you know, cosmetically. I'm only assuming that his labs look good and he's healthy on the inside too. I'm, I'm quite certain of that as well. 
Well, and that's the thing is like when you look at him, he just he just he's vibrant. He he exudes health. He exudes happiness. He's smiling. He looks like he's got great energy. You know, he's he's grateful. You know, there's there's he just has this kind of like magnetism about him where it's like you know I, I want that now and I want to be able to continue to have it for thirty years. So, you know, I think um, you know there there are other people in. The uh, there's a very famous person in the low carb space that doesn't really exude that aura of health. So it's like, well, what what? Where's the disconnect there, right? And uh, yeah, you're right. It is it is an aura. I mean, I'm kind of joking about you know how ripped a guy is at 60, but it really is like it's their it's the mental attitude, the emotional projection. It's just kind of their presence right someone like that that you look at and you go man i would really like to feel like that person feels yeah you know in the in their in their sort of state of well-being and you know if you look like that at 60 it's an added bonus too it does and and i think i mean mark came on our show and he's he's not bashful about the fact that you know hey i want to look good naked um you know so i feel good i'm able to perform and do the things i want to do i you know i can he plays ultimate frisbee and paddle boards and you know if i'm 62 and i can play ultimate frisbee with you know people that are half my age i would consider myself incredibly healthy and you know i would think that what i was doing was was great um I'll tell you another person. I'll give you a fourth one. Dr. All right, Bill, bonus round. Yeah, Bill Andrews. Uh, he's another guy who's 64. He is into uh, telomere and, and cancer research. So his, his goal is to cure aging. Um, you know, since we're talking about longevity and test of time, he wants to be able to run a, a seven-minute mile at the age of 130. So... Wow, cool. Okay. Well, we'll put we'll put him in the episode upgrade and in the show notes and everything too. So we've got uh, yeah, we've got four. Okay, so in closing, Ryan, tell us all the places where we can find you and what you do. Give us social media websites, your podcast for sure, all that stuff. Okay, so Optimal Performance Podcast is the podcast um, that's sponsored by Natural Stacks. I work for Natural Stacks, so all of the social media stuff for Natural Stacks is at Natural Stacks, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, my personal stuff is Ryan Muncie for Instagram and, or no, that's Twitter. Instagram is Ryan Muncie with an underscore at the end of it. Cool. Awesome, man. Well, dude, we covered some really important ground here. I love that we got to get into the food piece and go deep, a little bit of fitness and supplementation. So I think this is going to be a really valuable episode for the listeners. And for that, my friend, I thank you and bid you farewell. Well, I hope it is as helpful as we think it is. And I thank you for for being here and the opportunity. And I'd be happy to come back and talk nootropics. Awesome. See you next time. All right. I'd like to again thank Samina Sleep Systems and remind you to get over to justhealthysleep.com and when you do, enter the code LIFESTYLIST and you will save 5% off all beds and accessories. Now that might not sound like a big savings, but these beds are really quite an investment as you're going to find. So 5% can mean a few hundred dollars. So uh, definitely remember that code. And as I said earlier, if you're in Southern California, you can also make an appointment on the site to go over to their showroom and see these beds for yourself. Once you see them, if you're anything like me and you really care about health, you're going to become obsessed with getting one. I mean, they are that cool. They're literally the dopest beds on the entire planet. 
in my opinion. And I've checked out a lot of healthy bed systems. So Samina Sleep Systems, find that at justhealthysleep.com, enter the code lifestylist and save 5% off, or just get over there and make an appointment to see the showroom. Tell them I sent you, you're gonna save some cash and you're going to sleep very well for many, many years.